Last year about this time, we had Don Stubbs with us from the Off the Wall Ministry in Ohio, and he told about the ministry, but mostly he just preached a sermon. And uh, two of the young ladies from our church spent the last nine months in Ohio in the Off the Wall Ministry. And one of those girls was Lauren Countryman, wherever you are, there you are, come on up here, Lauren. I've been wondering, this girl's always been on my good list. She's, she's terrific. I was wondering, what, what led you to decide to go? Hi, church. Um, uh, you guys know me. I've been going here forever. Um, <laughs> understatement. Um, and so you guys know I've grown up in this church. I've grown up in a church. My parents were missionaries overseas. I have been a Christian forever, um, it feels like. But... When I graduated high school, which was last year, forever ago, um, <laughs> I, um, I just wanted to go to college. I wanted to find a career. I wanted to just do stuff. Um, and I, I wasn't really invested in my life as a Christian. I was at youth group sometimes. I had a mentor, Lisa Peterson, who's amazing. Um, and, you know, I kind of just did it. I read the Bible every once in a while. I prayed when I felt like I needed to, but I didn't really care. Um, I wasn't invested. Um, And so when I was on my way to college, I was already accepted. I had all of my plans. I had all my vaccine records in, everything. Like, I was set to go. And um, Don Stubbs came up, and um, he spoke here, and he just kind of briefly mentioned off the wall, like offhand, and something about it kind of sparked my interest. And so I didn't do anything for like three weeks after he left. And then I was like... I'm going to apply. And so I applied, and I got in. Um, And this was in the end of July. And off the wall, you kind of have to apply, like, the year before to get in because it it fills up really quick. And so the program starts in the end of August, and I applied in July and got in. Um, And so it was kind of a God thing. And and I just kind of went because I was interested in doing something more with my life. I didn't want to just live. I wanted to have a purpose. I wanted to kind of, I don't know, be more than just a Christian with that tag on my name. I wanted to have a purpose. And so I went and didn't know anything about it and was surprised. When you came back at Christmas time, Lauren, I was quite amazed at the change you uh, would never have been able to get up here and talk like you're doing right now. You were afraid of your shadow. But now uh, I noticed such a change of your confidence when you came back at Christmas. And, and now, uh, what really impacted you at Off the Ball? Well, the program itself, its, its tagline is a intensive discipleship ministry, which just means that you take Christians and actually make them Christians. Um, you you have a bunch of young people, and they all live together, um, girls in one house, guys in another house, and you have biblical classes, and um, more than anything in that, more than the classes, more than the working on your character, more than the ministry opportunities, all that's great, but if it doesn't come from uh, a relationship with Christ, if it doesn't come from your love um, of him, all that's pretty pretty useless. It's It's 
not going to give you confidence. It's not going to satisfy you. It's not going to be fulfilling. It's going to feel hollow. It's going to feel like you're putting on a show and just doing stuff. Um, and so the biggest thing that impacted me was I fell in love with Christ. I decided that everything I wanted to do in my life was going to be for him. Um, and all my relationships were going to be for the purpose of glorifying him. Um, every person I met, I wanted to share the gospel with. All the people I knew who knew him already, I wanted to develop a better relationship with them, with Christ as the focus. Because it doesn't matter um, where you are in life or what people group you're from, if you have that as your connection, you're, you are closer than anything else. And so I think that's what changed and impacted me the most is like everything else, all the ministry opportunities, all the character growth, all of that, that all came second. That all came as an outflow of my love and dependence on him. Would you recommend Off the Wall for everybody? No. Um, I'm glad you laughed. Um, No, in all seriousness, the program is targeted towards a specific type of person. It's targeted to someone who um, wants something. What they want is they want to change. They want to become a disciple. They want to become a disciple who makes other disciples. They want to have a purpose, and that purpose is Christ. Um, And in order to to change your life from one thing to another thing, you have to be willing to change. And and what what that is is you have to be teachable. Um, The program is designed um, for youth, kind of, like 18 to 30 youth. Um, and so I would recommend it for someone who's, who's looking for that. Um, I'd recommend it for not just parents who want to send their kids off so that it can get fixed. Um, ultimately, it has to be your decision. Um, if you don't care, if you don't want to change, nobody can make you. you. You can do all the things, but unless you care nothing's going to come of it. So that's who I'd recommend it for is, yeah. Okay. Now, one last question. I heard that you're going back for nine more months. Why? Well, um, I, I went back, I went for the first time to work on me. It's kind of selfish. Um, I wanted to be a better Christian. I wanted I this, I that, you know. And when I was there, I learned a lot of things. I learned how to, you know, Bible study. I learned how to work with youth, younger youth than myself. Um, I learned all these things. I learned how to live with people I don't get along with and how to really work on, you know, Christian community. And that's what I learned. And so this next year, I'm going to do it. Um, and so the program off the wall, it's, you got classes, but you also have, um, you have to work, you have to be in school or you have to be volunteering. So it's like life. Um, in life you have responsibilities, you have work, you have, you know, all those other things, but what are you going to do with your life? What's your purpose going to be? What's your, um, what's your focus in all of your, your day-to-day things? What are you doing, um, for the kingdom? Of, of God, and so that's what I'm going to be doing, is I'm going to be going to school, working, and being an RN, they call it house leaders, of the girl, one of the girls' houses, um, so in charge of running that and stuff, so really just practicing living for the rest of my life. Thank you, Lauren. Good job. At Kenai Grace this morning, I told the crowd there that 
Don and Travis didn't need to speak after she got done. She, she did a great job. At the other church, Travis preached, and Don just shared briefly at this church. Don's going to preach, and Travis is going to share briefly about the off-the-wall ministry. Well, good morning. Um, we're really not that special. Uh, we're just... Amen. <laughs> he knows us for a while, so he definitely knows. Uh, but all, all, we're just trying to love Jesus, and we're trying to help other people love Jesus, and we call it off the wall and run a program, and, and we do it that way. But when Don and I were, were starting off the wall ministry, uh, we, we really read the Gospels a lot, and we said, okay, what did Jesus do? And God, if you're calling us to do this discipleship ministry, we want to model it after you. We, would, we, we saw what you did with your disciples, so what does that look like for us to do that today? And we just really have three core areas, and that's uh, biblical training. Uh, we, we want to make sure the guys and girls that come to Off the Wall understand the Word of God. And uh, this guy was really good at that. He loved being our teacher. Uh, while he was in Ohio and, and, and gave us some really good curriculum to get started with. And so uh, we really teach um, just foundational biblical stuff and uh, books of the Bible, um, stuff like salvation and, and basic theology. And we really want them to be grounded and rooted in that. Um, so that's one of our cores. Uh, the other thing we do is ministry training. As Jesus walked and talked with his disciples, uh, they saw him do ministry and then he sent them out to do ministry. Uh, so one thing we love to do is, is uh, take them with us and watch and then go and do and try. And uh, we're really, uh, Don explained this in the last church, uh, Off the Wall in essence is a non-profit parachurch ministry, but we don't believe in essence in parachurch ministry without the church. And so we're basically parachurch for the avenue of raising funds. But everything else we do is intertwined with the local church. So our guys and girls in the program are serving in the church. They're involved in the church. They know people in the church. Um, they're spending time with people in the church. They're being discipled by people in the church. Uh, it's not just us. And so we really integrate that, and a lot of our ministry training comes through the church. Uh, and then uh, the third pillar is character development, and that's probably the um, most fun, right, Lauren or Larry or Krista back there? Uh, who've all been there and been through many of our family chats, as we would call them, uh, where we all get together and, and have fun working through conflict and uh, living together and selfishness and character issues. So uh, we talk about all that stuff. We don't shy away from it. Uh, we encourage conflict, and we walk through it in a way that honors God and not in a way that creates bitterness or anger or resentment towards each other. Uh, and so we really strive for that. So, But just, um, just a couple key understanding of of off the wall we we have them come in for tuesdays and thursdays they're ours we say tuesday and thursday you're ours uh sunday you're ours as well monday wednesday friday saturday uh you can work you can go to school or you can volunteer somewhere and you can try to do life um, but in the midst of those other days sometimes we uh, uh steal some of their time too or have some trips or ministry opportunities or events that we do and uh yeah i think that's about it great thanks travis done At Kenai Grace this morning, uh, the question was asked, do the kids have free time? And yes, they do. They have a lot of free times, three days a week, but not really. Now, you, you try to figure that out, <laughs> but uh, I know what, what he means. This is not the purpose of Off the Wall, but ever, occasionally this happens. Uh, Travis mentioned Larry and Krista. Larry is my grandson. 
he had to go to Ohio to meet a girl from Anchorage. And they got married. And they are here this morning. And congrats to you. They've been married two months. <clears throat> Many of you are familiar with Don, who shared with us last summer. Lord bless you, Don, as you take over. Good morning. Oh, be sure to look at his blue jeans. Aren't they ratty looking? I told everyone when I packed, I was thinking of Solid Rock Camp that we're going to be speaking at all next week. And I, forgive me, I did not think about packing for the church. So if any of you guys are saying, look at that, don't look. Just pretend I have a suit on and a tie. So it's been good. It's, it's good. Uh, um, this morning, Travis got to share a little bit about, uh, we've been traveling a lot a lot lately. We have been in Kenya, uh, and then we came back, and a week later we were in Arizona, and now we're here, and we go home, and we're home for two days, and we're in Michigan for a week. So it's been a crazy, crazy time of life. And I just want to say it's, it's good to be here, but I can't wait to get home <laughs> and settle there. And it's, 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 it's a good thing to love Jesus, isn't it? So I, I want to share with you guys from my heart, um, I am one of the leaders of a discipleship ministry, and, and sometimes that's, that's a weird thing, because what we would naturally do in biblical time, what would naturally be understood as this is how we live life, now we have to do all these, oh, we have a discipleship ministry, and we have a care ministry, and sometimes I find that so odd. That the one thing that Jesus has called us to, the Bible calls us to, is to make disciples. I mean, I love, I love Matthew 28. We call it the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples. Teach them everything I've taught you, you know. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I'll be with you always. And I love that. And we all love that. We absolutely love those type of statements. We say, oh, that's awesome. But the problem is living that out. So hard. And also people write books about it. This is how you make a disciple. And this is how you do that. And I just, you know, really in all, all reality, why do we need so many books on what the Bible just makes as very clear? Go and make disciple. Teach them everything I've taught you. And baptizing them in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I'm going to be with you. And so there's a lot of things. And, and someone said, what am I going to speak about? I'm not going to speak on discipleship. I'm going to talk about an encounter that you see discipleship. But I just want to tell you guys, you know, if there, isn't one, if there is one thing that we have to understand as followers of Jesus Christ, it's what he expects of us. He expects us to make disciples. He expects us to love his word. He expects us to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. He expects us to love the poor and take care of the needy. He expects those things because... We're his. And so in the midst of our lives, the one thing we have to ask ourselves, am I living the Christian life in, in, in title only, or am I living the Christian life out in reality? And that's a really odd thing, but we've got to be people who live in the reality of Jesus Christ and not just in the title of Jesus Christ. Because the world is so tired of that. It's, the world is so tired of people who say they love Jesus and they look nothing like him. The world is so tired of 
um, people who place every other priority in life above Jesus Christ and the word of God. The world is so tired of, of people who say, huh, I want my kids to love Jesus, but the most important thing is to go to education and go to college and to make money. The world is tired of that because they're really confused by it. So I just want to tell you, if there's anything we're called to, we're called to look like Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to. So I want to read a story. We've been doing this thing called Encounters with Jesus. It's probably been one of my favorite studies I've ever done. And there's an encounter that I love. You ever read the Bible and you get stuck one place? You just like that story. And no matter how many times you read it, you just feel more amazed every time you read it. And you say, how did I miss this? This is one of those stories. It's a road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. Now, I'm going to do something that we don't do often. Maybe you do here, and I'll praise. More than likely, if Larry's your pastor, you do do this here. <laughs> yeah. But I tell you, if you don't believe this, know that this is true. The Word of God is under attack. The authority of the Word of God is, is under attack. And when we compartmentalize and we only take little sections and we don't read the Word, there's a problem. So I want to take a little time and read Luke chapter 24, 13, and we're going to read all the way down on through 43. That's a lot of text, I know. But I know in the Old Testament, there would be times when they read and they would sit there all day long. So hopefully we can sit here for 10 minutes. We open your word. We, we are amazed that God, you would entrust with us such such an amazing work. The work of making disciples and, and that you have granted to us such an amazing title. The title of children of God. And God, uh, we desperately need you to help us walk this out. So, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be in this place. Spirit, be our teacher and our guide, I pray. And we love you because you first loved us. Now, would you manifest your love in us by how we live our lives? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. That very day, they were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about these things that happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And, he, and they stood there looking sad. And one of them named uh, Cephas answered him, are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, I want you to hear this again, what they, they said about him, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, lost my place here, mighty indeed, and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But listen to this, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. 
Moreover, some of our women of our company amazed us. They went at they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of an angel who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interrupted, he interpreted to them all the scriptures, um, all, the, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they drew near the village to which they were going. He acted as if he, would, he was going further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards, the end, it is towards evening and the day is not far spent. So he went to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he vanished from them, their sight. And he said to each, and they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose the same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed, and he he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. So I just want to take a few minutes to kind of unlayer this. If I were to entitle this sermon, I would say that we would call this a road of discovery. And there's three points I want, well, really four, but there's three main points I want to talk to you guys about. This is one of those great stories. If you read the same account in, in Mark, it's a little different and it's a little harsher. Mark wasn't so interesting, give you a full picture. He was very to the point, but there's some unique things in Mark, and we're going to look at there in a minute. But one of the things I want you to know is that as believers, one of the most important things we can do is take time to ponder. To ponder what Jesus has said, to ponder what Jesus has done, and to ponder if our lives look anything like Jesus. You know, and if you really, if you really look at this text, you see a couple of things. First, in verse 16, when they were walking and they were, they were talking, and all of a sudden, Jesus just appeared, and he said, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they said, and the one guy looked at him, and it's so unique, he said, he was sad, he said, are you the only one in Jerusalem who, who hasn't heard about everything that happened? He said, wait, what thing? And they said, these things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, have you not heard? Have you, has no one told you? You know, this man was mighty indeed. He was a prophet. You know, he did great things. And our leaders handed him over to be crucified. Have you not heard these things? But we were hoping. We were hoping that he would redeem Israel. You know, and as they were talking and everything, one of the things I'm starting to really see about believers, we don't take enough time to ponder on Jesus. 
Oh, it's so easy. How many of you guys can tell me Jesus' story in your own life? How many of you can tell me all the great stories of the Bible? How many, time, how many of you guys can tell me all these great stories about Jesus? And then and you forget them. And you don't just sit and say, wait a minute. You know, and it's so, you know what will happen so quickly to us? Jesus will be all about a memory. But it will have nothing to do with our present or future. So they were walking and they had lost hope because they didn't remember exactly what Jesus told them. And that's, that's interesting. You ever think about that? Well, what are the things that Jesus has told us as believers? And I want to trans, transfer this from a story and make it real life for us. What are the promises of Jesus for those who are his? What are the promises of Jesus for those who have been called by his name? What are the promises of Jesus to those that believe upon his name and have committed their lives to him? What are those promises? We need to remember because if we don't, we will become hopeless. So they were walking they said, we hope that he'd be the one to redeem Israel. And then, so I'm going back between my notes and my, the Bible, so don't think I'm being weird up here. But one of the things I thought was so interesting at first, when they said that, and he said, when he, when he asked them what things and they told him, one of the things he said to them later on, he said, and he said, oh, foolish ones, and so of heart to believe. No foolish ones. You want to know one of the weapons the enemy is defeating Christians with? Is the authority of Jesus Christ and his power. I, I, I know it's true. I don't know where you guys are at, but I can kind of imagine. Some of you guys are here. Some of my kids and some of my family, they don't believe in Jesus and their lives are and I'm giving up. But what does Jesus tell us to do when we want, when we need him to intervene in someone's life? He says, pray. Some of you guys are looking at our country and say, oh, our country's in a mess. There's no hope. When has our hope ever been our government? Some of you guys have looked at your finances and said, God, have you forgotten me? He said, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor the seed of God begging bread. And he can go over and on and on and on in the promises. And the Bible actually said all the promises uh, in, of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. He said every promise that he makes to you, every promise that he tells you, every promise that he has spoken in his word are already yes and amen in Christ Jesus. But what happens, we don't take enough time to ponder and think about Jesus and think about him. When we do, we don't get it right because we don't actually know the truth. I know, I don't know how many Christians tell me, well, the Bible bores me. What, what is that? The Bible bores you? Well, the Bible doesn't really have impact on my life. What, well, what does? What is the, what's guiding your life if it's not the very word of God? What are you basing your life on if it's not the authority of the scripture of God's word? What are you hoping in? So they, took, they, they were thinking about the things, but they didn't actually ponder correctly. And Jesus said, oh, you foolish one, let me remind you. And then it says he opened up to them everything the prophets said about him. And so they were pondering. 
But the problem is their ponder wasn't true because they were basing it on circumstances and not the truth of God's word. And so Jesus said, it's all right if you think about these things, but when you ponder on me, but you don't base it on my word, you're going to be hopeless. And that's where they were. So he said, okay, foolish ones. And he goes on and then he says this. Was it not necessary? So he lays all this out, right? And I want to give you guys a couple things that started to happen as he was laying this out. And we see it later, later on. He lays it all out, and then they get to the place they're going. Jesus pretends he's going a little further. And they say, oh, no, why don't you stay with us? Why don't you come in? It's late. And what they're really saying, on these roads at night, it's dangerous. You should stay. The, the day's spent. Evening is coming. Why don't you just stay? Really what they were really saying, what your words are saying to me, what you're speaking to me, is so engaging my heart, so enlightening my soul. Please don't stay. So he stays with them. He's going to stay with them all along. But it's just a little humor there, the Bible. So he stays, and then he says, he sits to eat with them, he blesses them, he breaks the bread, and their eyes were open. And he disappears right from their very sight. And I want to just talk about that for a moment. So we have this amazing thing that happened. They were pondering all the things of Jesus, but in their pondering, they kind of missed the truth of it because they were just thinking about circumstances and not God's word. And then after they pondered and Jesus actually opened up the prophets to them, their hearts started to burn with the desire to have more of him. So he did that. And then he said, after pondering, he said, I need you to remember all these things that I want that the Bible tells you about me. So he does that. And then after that, he just disappears. So I want to draw a couple uh, things that you need to see. After you're really trying to figure out what God is saying to you in your life and doing, you can't do that based on your circumstances. You have to do that based on God's word. You do. Secondly, once God has opened up his truth to you, you need to respond. And this is why I say that. So when they finally recognize and he disappears, they started to, they started to do some things, right? They said, didn't our hearts burn when he opened up the scriptures to us? When's the last time your heart burned when you heard God's word? Really just burned with the absolute reality that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he is coming back that he is victorious, that there is no weapon that's fashioned against him shall prosper, that everything God has promised is true, that one day you will be in eternity with him, that sin will be defeated, that this sinful life will be defeated, that death will be defeated, that every tear will be... When's the last time your heart burned for the things of God? Because the promises he made are for you. They are true. The Bible said, write these things down and... and, and Revelations chapter 21 said, Write these things down, for he who is seated on the throne will do it. When's the last time your heart burned because you are a believer and follower and disciple of Jesus Christ? That you were actually so on fire that nothing the world does, nothing the world can do, nothing the world sets before you will ever deter you from the very fact that you are a disciple of Jesus Christ and you will follow him no matter what, because in all reality, everything else will crumble. 
There is nothing else to build your life on. You build your life on money, it will vanish. You build your life on popularity, it will vanish. You build your life on anything other than the promises and the person of Jesus Christ, it will vanish. When's the last time your heart burned because you know that you are Jesus's and that all the promises of God are yes and amen for you and you can walk in that that victory? When's the last time your heart burned because of that? That should be the most celebratory thing that we can ever know, that we are his. That we can walk in his authority. When's the last time our heart burned because of what Jesus is? And so they, they thought about it. They said, didn't our hearts burn? And then they were pondering. And here's a strange thing what happened. When you are really, really affected by Jesus, all the other excuses disappear. Want to know why? So what did they tell Jesus right before he when they got to, don't leave it, huh, come stay with us. In all reality, you read any kind of commentary, it's because it was at night. As soon as they really realized it was Jesus, what happened to all those excuses? Nothing. It said they left immediately on those dangerous roads, late at night and everything. Why? Because they couldn't contain it. They wanted to go back and tell the brothers and sisters that, hey, we just saw Jesus. He is risen. They said they left immediately and went back and told them. Because when the word of God really is affecting you, all the excuses that stops you disappear. When you're really touched by the person of Jesus Christ, when your heart's burning for him, the world and everything it throws at you will not any longer be a barrier to stop you from doing or following. And that's what I loved about them. Right there and they just said, didn't we, when they recognized him, they just had to go and tell others about him. They had to go. You want to know what God's word does? When God's word is really revealed to you, Every lie of the enemy disappears. We had hoped. And they said, now we know. We had hoped that he would redeem. Now we know. Brothers and sisters, that's what they went back and said. Hey, Jesus is risen. We've seen him. What we thought was defeated isn't. He is the Messiah. He is the Redeemer of Israel. He is the Lord. And we needed to come and tell you. Guys, that's what disciples do. That's what they do. I want to tell you a couple of things. When Jesus shows himself clearly, it's not a time to sit and idly do nothing with it. When Jesus shows himself clearly, it's a time to go and tell. It's a time to say we know. We want to know what the world's doing to us right now? And I don't know how this... world is making us think that Jesus isn't able to do what he says he can do. You, you're walking it. Some of you guys are walking it right now. Think you're turning around. You don't think your situation, you're, you're so caught up in your, your circumstances that you forget that the Redeemer of Israel is for you. That the God of all creation is for you. That he knows exactly where you're at and he's still able to see you through that and make you exactly who he has called you to be. You know, if you read Mark, and I just want to turn there real quickly. 
This is the problem with having a digital Bible. Go with me to Mark 16. If you read 16.12, it says, After these things he appeared in another form to two of them, and they were walking in the country. And they went back and they told the rest, but they did not believe him. Can you imagine that? That's exactly what we do all the time. We don't really believe, do we? Hey, listen to what Jesus says. After he appeared to, to the eleven of them, as they were reclining at the table, he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they, not, they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said unto them, you know, we love the Great Commission, but there was a stern rebuke right before it, because they didn't believe. Hey God, I think God, God has an indictment against the Church of America. We don't believe. We live as ineffective and unproductive, and I'm including myself. I, I'm right there with you so often. This morning, Travis was speaking, and I just, I start praying, God, would you give me a heart to walk in a manner worthy of the gospel, and forgive me for not doing that. Would you forgive me for doubting? Would you forgive me for not believing that you have overcome the grave, would you forgive me for not believing that you have overcome my sin? And would you forgive me for not walking victoriously in, in your victory? Would you forgive me, Lord, for that? One thing I find very true, unbelief really, really frustrates and upsets God. Every time he talks about it, every time you see in the Bible, Jesus is given a rebuke of it. Every time. And somehow we as a church of Jesus Christ here in the United States and Western civilization think that we can walk with the title of Christ but live unbelieving lives. And I think a lot of time what Jesus needs to do is open our eyes again and say, has it not been told to you? Don't you remember? Can't you see? I love that. So if you get back to Luke, there's a couple of things I want to make sure we get before we leave. As they were, as they were talking, we realized that many of them didn't believe. But right after that rebuke, he gives this great commission. Go and make disciples. The greatest barrier to making disciples is belief. I don't know what yours is, but I can get on the list. You don't believe you're worthy to do it. You don't believe you're able to do it. You don't really believe it's important to do. You don't really believe that people will respond to you if you try to do it. You believe the world's too messed up. You believe people are too lost. You believe all kind of lies. And I know one thing the Bible says. I know one thing the Bible really says. The harvest is plentiful. But who's few? So if that's what my Bible tells me, 
it tells me there's a plentiful harvest of people who want to be disciples. That's what it tells me. And then it tells me what a disciple looks like. Go and teach them everything I taught you. So what am I going to teach people? What Jesus taught. How should they live? How Jesus lived? What should they do? What Jesus did? And I know we used to have those real cool things. What would Jesus do? We already know. The Bible tells us. What kind of question? What would he do? He would be holy. He would walk in faith. He would walk in confidence in his call. He would know who he is, and he would live it out in front of a dying world. And when he saw dying people, he would interrupt their lives with the hope of the gospel. And then when they responded to that, he would make sure they understood that they're new. He wouldn't condemn them all the time. He wouldn't tell them, I tell you one thing, we're losing so many battles and I, I'm going to bring this up just so you guys know. We're losing the battle. We so want to condemn people that we forget that God loves sinners, but he hates sin. He has never called us to condemn people. He has called us to speak truth into the life of dying people. He has called us to say, what you're doing now isn't who you are, God created you to be. How you're living is wrong because God says so. He has never called us to compromise his word, but he has always called us to love people. You can't make disciples if we don't love people. We can't make disciples if we don't trust God. We can't make disciples if we're not willing to be obedient. I tell you, everything we're doing in America, it does not look like Jesus. We trust in our money, we trust in our fame, we trust in our government, we trust in our military strength, and Jesus said, stop trusting in those things. Trust in me. You guys are probably never going to have me back here. I mean, that's all right. <laughs> I just want to tell you guys, I'm really tired right now. I'm just going to be honest. I'm tired of what Christianity looks like in America. Every time I look at it, I said, this is really what Jesus Christ died for. The ineffective, unproductive people who are defeated by an enemy that... Christ defeated at the cross. Is that really who we are? The Bible tells me you're a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God to declare the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his glorious light. That's what the Bible tells me. Now I'm a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. I don't belong to money. I don't belong to fear. I don't belong to America. I don't belong to kids. I don't belong to anything but him. And when I know that, then he said, now go and make disciples who believe the same thing. If we're not doing that, do we really believe Jesus? If we're not making disciples, what are we doing? One thing, God did not save us for ourselves. Saved us so that we may be the hands and feet, his bride, to a dying world who desperately needs a savior, who can save them. He did not call us to condemn. He called us to speak truth, because truth itself will condemn sin. I tell you, truth condemns. I don't need to condemn. Truth will do it. And I tell you one thing, sinners know they're, they're lost. I don't care. Do not believe believe the philosophy. People don't really know they're lost. They're, that's a lie. They do. 
They know it more effectively when saved people live in such a way that is so radically different to their lives that it's almost a mirror reminding them every day of how lost they are. So we need to... I'm going to close with this. There's a key thought. I want you to do this. I wrote this down, and then I'm going to give you four takeaways. What do you do when hope is gone? This passage gives us a pretty good example to follow. Even though the disciples did not realize that they were doing it, they confessed Jesus. They confessed to Jesus their disappointed heart. As a result, he helped them to understand the scriptures, relate to what they were, related to what they thought, and then what hopes were dashed. He also helped them understand that without him, there is no hope. Without him, all their desires would crumble. And without him, that there would be no way that they could truly be the people that they wanted to be. The key thought is to remember, without Jesus, we can't be who we want to be. And unbelief is Satan's most effective weapon to keep us close from Jesus. How many of you guys, when you struggle with unbelief, you don't want to be anywhere near Jesus? Absolutely. Jesus, I'm struggling. I don't want to be anywhere near you. So a couple takeaways for you. The truth, however, is far more than a set of fact. This is true we can trust in. In the face of our disappointment and delusionment, and yes, even in the face of death, Jesus Christ is victorious. When Satan is defeating you with lies, there's only one way to have victory. Turn again to Jesus. And when we turn again, there's only one response to that, to do what he's called us to do. You've got to make disciples, you guys. I don't know what that's going to look like for your church, but there's a couple of things I can tell you. If you're unwilling to make disciples, you can't follow Jesus. And I didn't say you weren't saved. Don't get me theologically in trouble here. But you're not a disciple. Because in the Jewish context, the disciple is someone that picked a rabbi and he would follow him. He did what that rabbi did. He taught what that rabbi believed. He said what that rabbi said. He walked in the dust of the sandals of the rabbi so closely. So when he came to a town, they said, oh, you must be so-and-so's rabbi because I see you're covered with the dust of his sandals. Are you covered with the dust of the sandals of Jesus Christ? You can truly be saved without being a disciple. Unfortunately, most Americans have settled for that. And I guarantee you, there's going to be a lot of people who will enter into eternity not hearing well done. The Bible said many will enter in with their coattail being sinned by the fires of hell. I don't want you guys to be upset, but the reality is 
we have grown extremely lazy as Christians in America. We come to church every Sunday, we get fed a lot, and we get fat. And somehow we think that's okay. I'm telling you, it's not. You know, I had a real hard time deciding what to do this morning because this message was so in my heart. And every time I, I speak this, I condemn myself. And one promise I made God when I start to teach his word, I said, I will not compromise your word, even at my own sin. I'm here to confess to you guys, I have not done well of making disciples. And I'm not done well at living this out. But I'll tell you one thing. I have a choice. I can change my life and live for Jesus. Or I can be fat and enter into eternity without hearing any well done. We're in trouble, you guys. The world needs Christians who are disciples. They don't need Christians who are fat. We need to follow Jesus with our heart and stop following everything else with them because there's a world that desperately needs us to be disciples because they have no idea how to be. Father, as we we look at the road to Emmaus, God, uh, sometimes, God, I don't want to be just a theologian. I have no desire sometimes. What I want to be is real with this body of believers here. Got this story, every time I read it, every time I read it, God, it breaks my heart because I realize how much I fail. But God, I ask that you would work in my heart in our hearts that you would cause us to be disciples of Jesus God if there's sin that dominating us would, would you be greater than if it's fear God would you be greater than if it's a philosophical belief would you be greater than if it's our love for country or family would you be greater than God if it's loss of hope, would you be greater than? Would you restore our hope? Would you open our eyes? Would you cause us to see? And God, if you need to, even rebuke us. And then give us the same charge over again. Go and make disciples. And God, in a real sense, may we obey. And we'll give you all the glory for it in Jesus' name.